Tonight, we're based in Canada, but we did some amazing coverage of U.S. politics. I'll show you some highlights. It's December 24th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thank consumer you. I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Keen Bexie here just outside of the White House in Washington, D.C., where Justin Trudeau just arrived for an 80-minute audience with Donald Trump. Now, the first 20 minutes that I've seen so far have been used up talking about Iran after Iran shot down an American drone in international waters. It's a little bit embarrassing that the Prime Minister of Canada only gets less than an hour-long audience with our greatest ally. It's a little bit disappointing. My main question here today is if Justin Trudeau will be lecturing the president on social issues after he lectured Vice President Mike Pence when he came to Canada. Here's my question to Trudeau. Prime Minister, will you be lecturing the president on social issues? No, I'm just laughing because as the Canadian media passed me, uh, they were all taking pictures of me with my mic flash. It's absolutely hilarious that in order to cover my own prime minister, I have to go to a foreign country uh, and get White House press creds to be able to get close to the Prime Minister because, of course, the Canadian press gallery determines who and who cannot get close to the Canadian Prime Minister. And they know that they're a dying breed and the legacy media is scared that the rebel is taking a chunk of their viewership. More interesting news today, the Prime Minister didn't come alone. He brought two of his ministers, Bill Morneau and Harjit Sajjan. It's yet to be disclosed if the President is seeking our Defence Minister's counsel on what to do with Iran. I have my doubts, I don't think so. Uh, and it's a little bit concerning that this meeting is only going to be lasting 30 minutes from what I see now. The president isn't spending much time on Trudeau. You'll note that he came to the United States here just yesterday and the president, neither the vice president nor the president came to greet him, similar to what happened in his disgraceful trip in India when the prime minister of India just didn't bother to come to the tarmac to give him one of those quintessential bear hugs that he's he's very well known for. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has come under fire recently for comparing ICE detention centers to concentration camps. It demonstrates a weak understanding of what the Holocaust was at best, and at worst, it demonstrates the insidious anti-Semitism that has been creeping in to the Democratic Party over the last decade or so. The Holocaust Museum has called on her to tone it down. Americans everywhere have been calling on her to apologize. In fact, she's doubled down on her rhetoric today. I asked her friend and colleague, Ilan Omar, what she thought about it while I was at Congress today. Here's what she said. Hi, could I get a moment of your time? Could you tell me, do you, do you agree with AOC that ICE is running to, uh, concentration camps on the border? There are camps and people are being concentrated. This is very simple. I don't even know why this is a controversial thing for her to say. We have to uh, really truthfully speak about what's taking place. And this is why it's really important for us to abolish ICE and make sure that we have an agency that is accountable to the people, that is dealing with the situation in a humane way. There's no, there's no way that we can allow um, for kids to be caged. Uh, in, in this country and, and children to be separated from their families uh, and people being terrorized in their communities. Um, is it, is it we, fair we, to we have sorry. to make sure that we are calling it out and I am 100% without. 
The Democratic duo are displaying unparalleled levels of anti-Semitism. You know, my boss Ezra Levant was joking when he called it the media party, but in fact, it's true, and I just confirmed it on video. A Prime Minister's office staffer stopped me from going in those doors because I have this microphone for no other reason than that. I came to the White House, I covered Donald Trump and Trudeau appearing with him for a very brief 80 minutes. Most of that was taken up with local reporters talking about Iran. So Justin Trudeau had a pathetic amount of time with the leader of the free world. So he comes here to speak with media in a controlled environment where the Canadian press gallery decides who and who can and who cannot go and speak to the prime minister. Now you're saying, oh, well, Kean, the Canadian press gallery is an independent third party organization. Au contraire, it's not. Listen to what this PMO staffer had to say. Good, how are you? You won't be able to come in. Okay. To the, uh, to the event. Why? Uh, just because your organization is associated with white nationalism and white supremacy, uh -huh. and those values and uh, and views are not uh, are not welcome in this place. So, so I'm allowed in the White House to cover a news event, and I'm not a white nationalist. I'm not a white supremacist. But you your guys get to has been associated with that uh, type of behavior and rhetoric. So, the White House so the prime, so the prime minister's them. office has made the unilateral decision to not let me in. The prime minister's office has agreed with the Canadian press gallery that your organization's views are not welcome. So that's all I have. They'll get you to leave, but I just so, wanted to come So the Prime Minister's know. office determines who can and cannot cover Canadian politics it's in the a, United it's States. It's a Canadian embassy event, and you are also not an accredited journalist in the Canadian press gallery at a Canadian media event, and that's why. So That's spectacularly disappointing so they will let and you, pathetic. They will escort you out. I don't appreciate that well, tone as I'm being respectful with you. So. I, you're not being respectful. If you're being respectful, you'd let me cover my Prime Minister as I flew to Washington to do. There's a process uh, for accreditation. And, and I've tried and to apply through the Canadian Press Gallery. Correct. And as I did with the White House, and they let me in quite smoothly. That's they were the, they were quite the kind House, and respectful. But, said, uh, but uh, you guys are quite are clearly a partisan. And so, them, and so is the Press Gallery. And it is pathetic and a disgrace. Did you catch what he said? The Prime Minister's office and the Canadian Press Gallery decided together. A prime minister deciding who can and cannot cover him? That sounds a lot, an awful lot like a dictatorship to me. Now I'm here today because the story has changed from that to something else. The mainstream media has picked up a story that has been circling through conservative media circles for quite some time now, a couple years actually. It's pathetic that the mainstream media has just picked it up now. But what has happened is there's a bunch of allegations that Ilhan Omar married her brother and was playing some sick game of musical chairs with her brother and her real husband and then was filing joint tax returns with her husband, uh, the second husband, even though she wasn't really married to him at the time. Uh, on top of that, it looks like she perjured herself in court when she told the courthouse after she tried to get a divorce from who people are saying are her is her brother she said that she hadn't seen him in years, since 2011, in fact, when really she had been talking with him on and off on Instagram, referring to him as her children's uncle, which leads me to believe that, yeah, he is, in fact, her brother. There are tons of questions that Ilhan Omar needs to answer. She's avoiding the media. The mainstream media doesn't have the kahunas to actually ask her these questions. So I'm here in Washington, D.C. She has a press conference, and I'm going to ask her some questions. Let's see what she says. Ilhan, if I could get a moment of your time, if I could get a moment of your time, could you tell me why you filed illegal tax returns in 2014 and 2015? On the Committee? Can you tell me definitively or not, is Ahmad Elsie your brother? For the markup? 
Yeah. Is he your brother? We're in the middle of a legislative briefing. We're, yeah. we're going, yeah. Is he your brother? We're going to which one? It's foreign affairs. I'll go with you. Can you tell me definitively, yes or no, is he your brother? Um, and why can't you answer that question? The remarks you gave me earlier. Why did you refer to him as your child's uncle on Instagram? And why did you lie on court documents saying that you hadn't seen him since 2011, when in fact you'd been talking to him all the time on Instagram? Sir, we're not doing ambush interviews. This isn't an ambush. You can send me a, an email. You can why are you so afraid to answer these questions? Thank you. Um, so we have budget and how can anyone take you credibly on the uh, on the twi on the uh, student loan t tax file when you were cheating on your taxes in 2014? And how can you call for Donald Trump's tax uh, tax filings when you did when you know nobody can trust you on the file at all? And why are you scared to answer the questions? What are you hiding? I'm trying to find my phone at the moment. So that you can go on Instagram and talk to your brother? Now I don't know why Ilhan Omar is so afraid to answer very simple questions. If I asked you, did you marry your sibling? You know what the answer to that is? No, at least it should be. I don't know why she's not answering these questions. I don't know why she's so scared. It certainly makes her look guilty on a bunch of different counts. A radical leftist and an avowed Antifa member, someone who's been photographed uh, many times in Antifa rallies, has been shot and killed after attempting to firebomb an ICE center. Now, I'm going to ask a very simple question of any congressperson that I can find. Will they condemn Antifa and the terrorist act that we saw over the weekend? Let's see what we can get. Will you condemn the Antifa attack in Washington over the weekend? It's easy to condemn terrorism. Will you condemn it? Is it clear? Antifa firebombed a facility in Tacoma over the weekend. It's an ICE facility. Will you condemn them for that? Will you condemn Antifa for the attack in Washington? It's easy to condemn a terrorist attack. We're wondering if you'll condemn the ICE attack again, uh, the Antifa attack against an ICE facility in Tacoma, Washington over the weekend. No? Do you condemn Antifa for their violent actions against American law enforcement? Okay, so now you're getting in the way of me walking, so I'm asking you to please back up. Sir? Do you condemn Antifa? What I'm condemning is a lack of journalistic integrity, and you're not respecting my physical space right now. And I'm going to ask you to step away. And, and Antifa didn't respect the integrity of that responded. building. You can give me a card and we can respond. So you're not going to condemn them? This isn't a, a journalistic ethics thing. I'm asking questions that CNN won't. Will you condemn Antifa? Sir, asking one more time to please scoot over. Now, these questions that I asked them were very simple, and of course, they didn't really have much of an answer. Now, I waited as the committee meeting where they were going to grill Kellyanne Conway. Uh, I waited for it to conclude. And as I did, members of the media who are typically waiting outside of the doors where staff and members walk in, I saw a few heads poking out of the into the hallway. And after I sort of stepped into, uh, into the shadows, they all sort of fled out. And I was able to ask them all the same question and kind of got the same results. But I did get an answer from one of them. Would you like to, would you like to condemn Antifa for their attack on an ICE facility? 
Well, obviously, any attack on any any facility is is uh, something that we shouldn't condone as the United States government. Thank you. Why is it so hard to condemn terrorism? Well, it's hard for the Democrats, I think, because a large part of their grassroots support, their activist support, would be alienated if they did condemn Antifa as a whole. I think that's a serious problem in American politics, and particularly in the Democratic Party. What a day here in Washington, D.C. I have fun with these trucks every single time. It's always a blast. We're at the Washington Monument, we're at Congress, we're at the White House, we're at the Trump International Hotel. And then we went to DNC HQ over the lunch hour to uh, show them the billboard truck, to remind them exactly who they have in their caucus. They weren't very happy. They sent a security guard out to kind of threaten me. Take a look at this. We're, sorry, we're not trying to harass anyone. We're, we're just, you know, exercising our First Amendment rights, and we want to know if the DNC will condemn terrorism. So where exactly are you talking at? No, I, I'm, I'm the reporter here. I'm, I'm asking questions, and I just want to know if the DNC will will condemn terrorism. Do you work for the DNC or you no, law enforcement? No. So you're going to continue just to probably. Okay. We'll, we'll Sorry. Okay. okay. You'll so call you what? Here. Am I allowed to be on a public sidewalk? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. We're going to find out if I'm allowed to be on a public sidewalk. You say that as you have a firearm on your on your hip. Is this America, or am I allowed to be on a sidewalk? Can answer that? I'm allowed to be here, I take it. What's your name, sorry? What is your name? My name is Kian Bexty, I'm with RNN from Canada. From where? I'm with RNN. Okay. So we'll see what we can do for you. Are you trying to get... I'm allowed to what, sorry? Can you not put that in my face? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just interviewing but folks on the sidewalk. We'll just, we'll just interview folks okay, with the DNC. Okay, have a good day. Hey there, how are you? We're doing a story on whether or not the DNC will condemn terrorism. Would you do that? Now, I'm not going to let that get me down. I think the message was heard loud and clear from both the DNC and from Americans here in Washington, D.C., it was a great day here. Thank you so much for everyone who supported the truck. I am here in Orange City, Iowa at the Prairie Winds Event Center where Elizabeth Warren just had a community conversation, as she calls it. There was a moment for press to uh, do a scrum and ask her some questions, but I, of course, was excluded from that. They uh, kept talking over me. I was trying to get some footage. I was trying to get in a question, but they kept asking me who I was with and blocking my view and even blocking my camera at moments. Um, I was wearing my backpack and even felt um, somebody pulling at it trying to bring me out of the scrum. Um, so unfortunately I didn't get to speak with Elizabeth Warren. She did speak about her upbringing, her background and her career and how she got there and how she got uh, to be a teacher in the first place, which is funny because I guess I'm the only one that noticed the elephant in the room, the fact that she lied about being a Native American to get a tenure teaching position at Harvard. Um, so right now she is doing some selfies and with uh, with some supporters. I'm gonna try and go back in to see if I can speak with her a little bit more. Um, but I don't see the likeliness of it because I actually see um, some of her staffers followed me outside and are keeping a close eye on what I'm doing. So I actually just finished a presser with Andrew Yang and I have been following Andrew Yang quite a bit and in my opinion he just seems too normal and too cool and laid back to stand out in this rather crazy group of candidates. So um, have a listen to what I got to ask him. 
Mr. Yang, you've um, disavowed your alt-right supporters in the past. Now, with all the violence that we've seen, would you disavow Antifa? I wasn't aware that Antifa had any involvement with my campaign. I'm against violence against uh, anyone in any quarter. Uh, and so I'm against violence, no matter the source. So it's nothing new when politicians kind of dodge the question. Um, it seems like Democrats are really scared to pinpoint and disavow Antifa by name. They say they're against violence, of course, but it seems like they're always trying to avoid the question directly. Mary Ann Williamson. She has um, been in the news, maybe not always for the po most positive reasons, but there has been a video going around uh, in one of her sermon type of lectures. Um, so she is an author and an activist as well as a lecturer. So there's this one video, and if you haven't seen it yet, take a look right now. I'm going to ask the white Americans in the room to please repeat after me. <clears throat> On behalf of myself and on behalf of my country. To you and all African Americans. From the beginning of our nation's history. In honor of your ancestors and on behalf of your children. Please hear this from my heart. I apologize. Please forgive us. So there she was. She had all the members uh, in the audience put their hands on all the black people in the audience to apologize for their ancestors, or maybe not even their ancestors, but just other generations of, um, you know, slave owners and slavery. So. Uh, I did try to talk to her a little bit about it. Um, again, I, she's been on um, the last, I heard her on a podcast with Dave Rubin and pretty much everything she said today, I heard on that podcast. So um, she kind of avoided the question. She didn't really give me a clear answer. Um, her point is that what people, Americans, specifically white people should be paying reparations to black people. Um, so when pressed and asked, when I asked her about this, take a look at what she had to say. Sir, you've said that uh, white people should be paying reparations to, uh, for slavery. What about people that are half white, half black, like for example, Obama, would he be paying reparations or receiving? First of all, I don't see it as a matter of white people. I see it as a matter of America. I don't see this as a black agenda. I see it as an American agenda. My plan is for a reparations council that is made up of black leaders, some of whom have done scholarly work in this country for decades on this issue. Uh, William Darity, professor at Duke University, Ta-Nehisi Coates, et cetera, are examples. This would obviously be a very carefully chosen uh, council. And my recommendation is that we, we pay between 200 and $500 billion is the number that I feel is enough to be significant and yet enough to be politically feasible. This money would be dispersed over a period of 20 years. In addition to that, the stipulation would be that the money is to be used for purposes of educational and economic renewal, 
in answer to your question, within that stipulation of projects of economic and educational renewal, it would be up to this council. It would be up to black leaders to decide the answer to the question. If I owe you money, I don't get to tell you how to spend it. These people would be answering to injustices uh, and receiving payment for injustices done to their ancestors. And it would be their job uh, to make the decisions uh, regarding questions such as you're asking. But if it's not about white or black, and you put a black council, who's going to be paying and who's going to be receiving? That's not clear. Obviously, the black council would be people who are descendants of American slaves, enslaved persons. Democrats are really good at sticking to their talking points and sticking to their script. So listen to um, what Mayor Pete had to say when I brought up this issue. Does the police force in South Bend have a racism problem? Uh, so systemic racism is something that impacts the work of everybody. Uh, and certainly one of the challenges of being in law enforcement is to think about how even the best individual working in that field, uh, even if they themselves are free of any racial bias or impulse, uh, is impacted just by some of the baggage that historically and in our time has attached to the uniform. Uh, it's something that I think we need to be on guard against and it's one of the reasons why in South Bend uh, we have worked on things like cultural competency, uh, making sure we assess even implicit bias, uh, where there may not be conscious bias, but there are still things that we carry in us uh, that make it harder for us to do our job well. And it's a difficult conversation to have, uh, especially with officers who uh, may believe that they're being accused of something, uh, when the bottom line is uh, any knowingly racist officer uh, should immediately find a different line of work. Any other officer should ask how they can arm themselves against uh, this baggage that challenges uh, a profession that we all depend on in order to keep America safe. The other reporters as well were asking him mainly about these racial tensions. So since 2012, this seems to have been following him and it seems like it may hurt his chances in this race. A, new, a newcomer to the presidential race is Governor of Montana, uh, Steve Bullock, and if you haven't heard of him, don't feel too bad because I'm not too sure how many people know his name outside of Montana. A big contrast between him and um, the other Democratic candidates, uh, and he may even, with his positions, may not be far left-leaning enough. The big contrast is that he, unlike his other fellow candidates, he is not for open borders and he is also not for free healthcare for illegal immigrants. Earlier this year, um, the governor of Montana, Stephen Bullock, did actually refuse to send National Guard troops to the southern border to help assist with the border crisis. So have a listen to what he had to say when I asked him about it. Another issue at the southern border that um, other candidates have expressed is the separation of families. Why do you think it's only been coming up now to light and nobody seemed to care while it was happening under Obama? Well, first of all, because it's been happening a lot more under this administration, both because the numbers that have come as we've also cut off aid to the three Central American countries and also the decisions made from this department. I mean, the thought that we have 450 judges for a caseload of 800,000, this is a bureaucratic mess. And it is, from my perspective at least, a moral crisis and a crisis of a humanitarian crisis as we're taking these families apart. But we've had these challenges before 
So we ought to fix the system and not be ripping families apart, not be losing families. We shouldn't be using immigration to try to divide us this country. So for the average person, it's pretty shocking that most people don't know that the separation of families happened under Obama as well. And it seems like it's just an outrage now that it's happening under Trump. And as you heard there, the governor of Montana, Stephen Block, did say, you know, why it's why it's uh, up, it, why there's so much light on it right now is because it's just much worse under Trump. Bernie Sanders has been very open of being pro-Venezuela, pro-Cuba, and pro-Soviet Union. So I decided to ask him about the one democracy in the Middle East, and look what happened then. Excuse me, Bernie, are you pro-Israel? Ma'am, ma you need to step back. You need to, Can I ask, are you pro-Israel, Ma'am, you need to step back. It seems rather odd for him to dodge such a clear question, but I wasn't done with Bernie. I continued to his next location, and one of the things that fascinates me about Bernie Sanders is his love of the Soviet Union. Among many others, my parents themselves fled the cruelty of the Soviet Union back in the 80s, and Bernie Sanders ended up vacationing there in the 80s. If you haven't seen the video, take a look at this. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a tradition. When people sit at the same table at the party, and one side of the table staff starts singing a song. When they finish it, the other side has to sing their own song. What are we going to say? As director said, added the two liters was. Today, the distinctive feature of our economy is competition. <laughs> <laughs> this land was made for you and me. A cheerful Bernie, shirtless, sweaty, drinking and singing. And watch what happens when I asked him about it. Cruelty of the Soviet Union. Do you regret taking your honeymoon there? Actually, I didn't take a honeymoon there. You vacationed Who there. Who are you my, with, by the way? I'm with Rebel Media from Canada. So my parents were Polish. They actually fled the Soviet actually, Union. My father is Polish. See, we got something in common. And so, do you, what do you think that tells people when you vacation? It tells people that what, first of all, it wasn't a vacation. What was it? From what we heard, it was your honeymoon. Well, you heard more. You should get your facts right. Okay, so what were you doing there? Establishing a sister city relationship with a city called Yaroslav. Very good program. Okay, and are you pro-Israel? His response didn't seem totally right to me, so I went ahead and did some quick research and found when he was speaking to the Washington Post, and he called it, quote, a very strange honeymoon. So naturally, I went back and asked him again. Excuse me, Senator Sanders. No, I'm honestly, I'm just trying to get my facts straight, like you said. So I see on the national, you spoke to the National Post, and you said it was quote a very strange honeymoon. So I'm confused if well, because I was married just previous to that, but we were married just previous. But this wasn't a honeymoon. The purpose of this trip, where I went with a whole delegation of folks from Burlington, Vermont was to establish a sister city. Okay, okay. so when you said uh, okay. to the Washington Post, what was that really about? It's very... Okay, thank you. Okay, can I ask you another quick question, no, please? Okay, thank you, take care.
standing on the White House grounds in Washington, D.C. Not a busy day here at the White House. The president is, uh, has no open events to the public. Um, but it's a good chance for me to come down and familiarize myself with how the Washington Press Corps works. And I tell you, I went in and talked to an assistant deputy press secretary and I saw the big room where the press briefings happen and I saw some of the other reporters from other networks and they couldn't be friendlier and the accreditation process couldn't be easier. It was really just an email on Friday and here I am here on Monday. Um, the only wrinkle is that as a foreign national, I have to be escorted from the security gate to uh, the facility, which is fine by me. Those Canadians are known to be rascally. But my point, besides showing off that I'm here at the White House and having a little bit of fun, is to make uh, the opposite point. Back in Canada, the rebel.media is blacklisted by Justin Trudeau and his censorious Prime Minister's office. We have been granted accreditation all over the world not just here in Washington. By the way, I'm the third reporter for The Rebel who's been accredited at the White House. Uh, we have been in the national legislature of Sweden, of Holland, of the United Kingdom. We've even been guests of the government in Iraqi Kurdistan. We've been in the halls of the UN headquarters in New York, of the European Union in Brussels and Strasbourg. There's almost no place in the in the Knesset in Israel. There's almost no place we haven't been accredited, and we were accredited again and again at UN conferences until Canada, uh, in the form of Christian Freeland, Catherine McKenna, and Justin Trudeau, blacklisted us and told the United Nations no longer to let us report in their conferences around the world. Then we send reporters anyways. They just won't let us in. But what's worse is that Canada, uh, in a combination of the government, the Prime Minister's office and the Parliamentary Press Gallery, has colluded to blacklist us from any events in Canada that are sponsored by the Parliamentary Press Gallery. So we've been blocked from any parliamentary briefings. We've been blocked even from the Canadian Embassy. Here, take a look at that. The Prime Minister's office has agreed with the Canadian Press Gallery that your organization's views are not welcome. So that's all I have. They'll get you to leave, but I just so, wanted to come So the Prime Minister's know. office determines who can and cannot cover Canadian politics it's in the a, United it's States? It's a Canadian embassy event, and you are also not an accredited journalist in the Canadian press gallery at a Canadian media event, and that's why. So, so imagine that. We're Canada's largest independent news network, 1.25 million subscribers on our YouTube channel. We've covered governments and politicians around the world from the heart of their legislatures. But in our own country, Justin Trudeau is so full of hate and so afraid of dissent that he is literally blacklisting Canada's largest independent media from covering him. Gee, I wonder why. Here, let me give you a little tour of the White House grounds from a reporter's point of view. Behind me, you can see the security gate. Uh, that I walked through, just a simple metal detector, and as a foreign national, I had to be escorted from there to here, but of course I'm free to roam now that I'm in. Uh, behind me you can see, it looks like little cabanas really, little huts that each of the TV stations have um, as their little base outside to cover any action on the White House lawn. So. There's not a lot going on today, but still each of them are ready. Lights are on. They've got fans because it's a nice, hot, muggy day. Um, in case anything were to happen, this is where they'd immediately run to film from. They're all set up. Everything's based on a moment's notice. As I turn around behind me, uh, you can see some other cameras set up outside that building. Again, sometimes administration officials come out and those cameras are ready to go. 
even if it's just a 10, 20, 30 second interaction, you can see their base for the news. Let me just turn around a little bit more and you can see, of course, the White House building, the glorious, glorious building behind me. Uh, I was told that I cannot go on the lawn. The Secret Service would have a talking to me if I tried to do so. Now down there, um, actually down there, is uh, where the White House press briefing room is. And it's nice and air-conditioned, so that, in fact, is where most of the reporters are hanging out today. Um, there's nothing going on, so I think they're just cooling their heels, like the president, and there's no official briefings scheduled. Uh, the White House press staff, there's a few of them today. So not a lot, of, not a lot going on uh, publicly. There's a few private briefings. What's interesting to me is just how minute-by-minute minute President Trump's schedule is released and they have a permanent pool. And what that is, is journalists agree together that on a rotating basis, someone will cover literally every move the president makes, minute by minute. They document he landed at 11.37. He walked to Marine One at 2.02. Melania, the first lady, was with him. Like, just uh, minute by minute, things he said, things he did, uh, documenting every second of the president. What a difference the level of transparency here compared to, say, Canada's Justin Trudeau, who's absent for days, usually found surfing in Tofino. Um, the level of scrutiny Donald Trump undergoes is uh, unimaginable. Justin Trudeau, of course, uh, just disappears, and the media is almost as lazy as he is. David Menzies for the Rebel.media here at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. Well, I'm here to take in a community conference on black maternal health. I'm not sure how black maternal health is different from the maternal health of other races, but then again, I'm not black and nor do I have a uterus. However, the real reason I'm here is a couple of the speakers include Ilhan Omar and Ariana Presley. Um, I have some questions if I can get to them. I want to know, for example, if Miss Presley is still part of the squad. She did vote against um, the BDS sanctions targeting Israel, uh, much to the disdain of her other squad members. Also would like to know who the real voice of the Democratic Party is these days. Is it uh, AOC or Nancy Pelosi? And as for Miss Omar, well, it's beginning to look like paint and place on Capitol Hill, isn't it? There's allegations that she had an affair with her campaign manager and that his travel expenses were paid for uh, out of campaign funds. So let's see what she has to say about those uh, storylines. Anyways, I'm about to go inside, take in the conference, and then hopefully I'll get to speak to these congresswomen. Hi, Ms. Omar. David Menzies with Rebel Media. Can you comment on the uh, allegations of an affair with Tim Minette and that you were using um, campaigns from your uh, to fund his travel expenses? Ms. Omar, what is the penalty for uh, adultery in your native Somalia? Ms. Omar, why is Minnesota such a hotbed of uh, terrorism for recruiting in the U.S.? Ms. Omar? Ms. Omar, can you tell me uh, what the penalty is for adultery in Somalia? Hi, Ms. Presley. David Menzies with uh, Rebel Media. I'm just wondering... Hi. Oh, I'll just speak while you're getting ready. You know. Um, hi there. Yes, Ms. Presley, are you still a member of the squad after um, voting against the uh, BDS movement? Ms. Presley, can you comment on that? 
Squad is anyone doing the work of building a more equitable and just world. That's not just for people. Who is the the face of the Democratic Party today? Is it AOC or Nancy Pelosi? We got to get going. Sorry about that. I'm not impeding you, sir. I know. Can you answer that, Ms. Presley? Who is the uh, the face of the Democrat Party today? Is it AOC or Nancy Pelosi? Has Nancy Pelosi given you a gag order? The, the face of the Democratic Party are the people of this country. It's the everyday person. It's the American worker. It's the immigrant. It's the survivor. The face of the party are the people. But there's certainly been a rift uh, with... The party are the people. There's no rift. Thank you. Well, that wasn't the sort of in-depth interview I was hoping for, but these are busy congresswomen after all. Uh, Ms. Presley, I don't know what she said to me. It sounded like baffle gab, but at least she did say something. Unlike Ms. Omar, that was a matter of cat got your tongue or just a decision not to exercise her First Amendment rights, at least not on this day. And it's too bad because with all the issues surrounding her these days, Capitol Hill, at least if you're with the Omar camp, is resembling Peyton Place. What would talk about her having an affair and paying her lover's travel expenses with uh, campaign funds. Um, that's very interesting indeed. And of course, I had other questions on other issues. As for the topic du jour, black maternal health, uh, it basically comes down to this in a Reader's Digest version, folks. Um, if black women or a woman of color or indigenous women are having any kind of issues with their pregnancy, um, it's all to be blamed on, you got it, systemic racism. My eyes were diverted to a laptop, actually a sign on a laptop that reads, I'm gay, Trump 2020, Democrats don't own me, and this laptop belongs to Scott Pressler, and I'm going to talk to him right now and find out what this is all about and why he's advertising both his sexual orientation and his political affiliation. Okay, so Scott, as I mentioned, I saw your um, signage. I'm gay, Trump 2020, Democrats don't own me. Now, Scott, first of all, what prompted you to um, advertise your uh, political and sexual affiliation in the first place? Well, I want to show that I am a loud and proud Trump supporter. I'm so tired of people being silenced, intimidated, bullied into not expressing themselves. So here I am with my Trump shirt. Here I am with my Trump computer. And, you know, part of the reason some people say, why do you have to say that you're gay? Well, minorities usually vote Democrat, right? If you're black, you have to vote Democrat. If you're gay, you have to vote Democrat. And simply by being here, simply by showing I am a gay Trump supporter, I'm totally destroying that narrative. I'm destroying that box that the Democrats like to put all minority groups into. And I'm showing other gay people, you don't have to vote Democrat. You don't have to vote simply Democrat because of your sexuality. And Scott, I have to ask, what has been the reactions uh, to your signage, both good and bad? 
Well, I'll tell you, just here now, I've been here for about an hour, I had four different men come up to me and say, oh, I love your laptop, can I take a picture of you? And so to every single person, of course, I asked, are you registered to vote at your current address? But I want to make it very clear, here are these men coming up to me who I presume are straight, here I am a gay Trump supporter, there was no homophobia, there was no hate, I was embraced, I was welcomed with open arms and open hearts. And do you ever get any reaction from Democrats or other gay individuals who think, you know, hey, what's wrong with you? You're, 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 not, you're not rooting for the right team here. Absolutely no. Sometimes I love to sit at Starbucks and I sit in Starbucks in the drive through window. So every single person has to see me. And I have been accosted a few times, but I'm always very pleasant because I know that there are other people in the room that are listening, that are the independent voter. And when they see someone like me simply expressing my First Amendment right to free speech and I'm attacked, attacked for simply being who I am, I think the middle America voter, the independent voter is going, wow, what has the left become?